evening everyone. Baruch Hashem, I'm very impressed of all of you came in such a massive, heavy snowstorm. Personally, I didn't believe that so many people will come. But it's the Balabai, it's Eli's uh, Emuna. He said, no matter what, we make the lectures. When I see that the organizer of the lecture is so serious, I'm embarrassed to say, you know, how will I come? He leaves me no choice. So it's all his chut, Baruch Hashem. Baruch Hashem. So, we are mamash getting close to the end of, the, of Hanukkah. Seven candles, that's it, tomorrow night, the last candle. As you can see, life is flying. It just started and it's almost all over. And mamash, that's the way they, the life is. Hanukkah is... The symbol of Hanukkah is the, the purpose of the Jews in the world is to spread light to the world. Light to the world. But, 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 to spread light to the world, but just to light a menorah like some Jews do, and then they behave every day like goyim, they have no connection to Judaism. It's, everybody understands it's a joke. Right? If someone does not keep one mitzvah and on Hanukkah he lights the menorah and eats some donuts and gain 10 pounds and he thinks he's a kosher Jew, oh, no, what can we do? That's his level. He lives in illusion. Most people in the world live in illusion. That's the, the reality. Most of the people in the world live in, in illusion. If you take now 100 Jews on the street, Anywhere you want, Brooklyn, Queens, Manhattan, Tel Aviv, everywhere you go. Every secular area, we take a hundred Jews on the street. You know what? Take a thousand. Thousand Jews on the street. You take a thousand Jews on the street and ask them what's the purpose of life. Now one of them will know. Take a thousand secular Jews anywhere you want, Manhattan, Tel Aviv, Queens, Brooklyn, What's the purpose of life? Nobody knows. Then you ask them, what makes you a Jew? Also nobody knows. Purpose of life? No, maybe it's a little bit complicated. But you ask a secular person, what makes you a Jew? If you hear the nonsense that they will answer, you don't know if to laugh or to cry. I give you some of their answers. What do you mean? My mother was Jewish. No. But what makes your mother Jewish? Her mother was Jewish. What makes her mother Jewish? All the way to the end. What makes you Jewish? I was born to a Jewish mother. It's not a good answer because Esav was also born to a Jewish mother and he was a Nazi. The Nazis came out of Esav, Italy. Esav. Right? So that's not a good answer. So some people would say, I live in Israel. Or I was born in Israel. Two million Arabs were born in Israel and Druzim. And uh, Philippinim, and uh, who knows, uh, Russian, Goim, a lot of them were born in Israel. That doesn't make them Jewish. So no matter what you wait for an answer, you don't get an answer. Nobody even knows what makes him a Jew. Now I want to ask you a question. Why the secular people do not know what makes them Jewish? How can it be? If you tell a secular person, most of them, Oh, you're such a goy. 
he will hate you for the rest of his life. You're done with him. I don't want to see this rabbi. I don't want don't to call me when he comes. Don't mention his name here. Why? He called me a goy. Right or wrong? But then you ask him, okay, so you say you're not a goy. Please tell me what makes you a Jew. He doesn't know. Now one thing he doesn't know. The reason he doesn't know is because he doesn't even know what Judaism is. He could be 30 years old, 30 years is a Jew since he was born, but he doesn't really know what Judaism is. If you ask the secular people what Judaism is, they don't know. The Christians know better than them what Judaism is. You ask a Christian from the church what Judaism is, they'll tell you. The Jews got the Torah from God, they were the chosen people. God gave them his book, he brought them from Egypt to Israel, he made them the chosen people. But the Christian will say that God gave a second book, which never happened. They, they live also in illusion. Just like some Jews live in illusion, Christians also live in illusion. Muslims also live in illusion. Most of the people in the world live in illusion. 99.99% of the people in the world live in illusion. They think that life is this, and life is something totally different. i give you an example. If you have Chris and Christine, two Christians, they met together in a church. The church made a party, Sunday. They met over there, and they became serious. They want to get married. So... In their life now, based on what the church taught them, they cannot be together until they get married. Until they get married, they cannot be together. Chris and Christine. Why? They are religious Christians. You're not allowed to be together before you get married. In Christianity, to get married is not such a great honor. Because if you want to be the man of God, if you want to be holy, you have to be alone for the rest of your life. You want to be a priest, you can't get married to a woman. Because it's uh, unclean to be in an intimate relationship with a woman, it will not make you holy. That's why they tell a lot of the priests, they have to stay alone for the rest of their life. Which is the exact opposite of what God said in the Torah. You see, the Christian, they're very uneducated. Because they believe in a Torah, they call it the Old Testament. They're not denying that the Jews got the Torah in Mount Sinai. They all admit it's a part of Christianity. Part one and part two, they say. The, the Old Testament, the New Testament. But they never read the Old Testament. If they will really read the Old Testament, they will take the new one and put it right away in the garbage. Because it's a big insult. Because it's the total opposite of the first one. It cannot be that God gives one thing and then they give another book which is the total opposite. For instance, in the Torah it says, after God made Adam, Lo Adam levado. It's not good for a man to be alone. He must have a woman. He will never be complete without a woman. I will make him a partner for life. Who did he make him? Eve. He did not make him Adam number two. Yeah, like the Democrats trying to redesign the world. No. It was Adam and Eve. Man and a woman, which is a perfect match. Every other attempt to redesign the Jewish family or family in general in the world is a crime against God and against humanity. 
That's why the biggest punishment that you can find in the Torah is for whom? Homosexuality. Death penalty by stoning and a permanent cut for the soul for eternity after death. Person die, he has no share to the world to come. Such a big crime. Even to murderers, they, you don't have such a crime, such a punishment. Why they get such a punishment? Because they redesign God creation. God say the world has to be a family, men and women and children. They want to redesign the world. They want to make the world different than what God wants. So they declare a war against God because of their desires, because of their stupidity, before, because of their mental illness and sickness. They want to redesign the world in a different way than the book of God. That's why there's no tolerance and no forgiveness for this kind of people. So you have to understand, you have to, you have to make sure before you do something that it's not going to get you into very serious trouble. So it's written in the Torah, men must have a woman. The Christians come and say, you want to be a man of God? You're not allowed to be with a woman. But the Torah says, without a woman you will never be holy. You will never be complete. Why did you come and make a different book, which is the opposite of what God says? The answer is because people make mistakes. And the New Testament is, has thousands of mistakes. I had a debate with a Christian priest. Three hours, I crushed him to a thousand pieces. Professor for Christianity. It became the biggest joke in the world. Because every second he was drinking a bottle of water. He drank 17 bottles of water. And in the middle of the debate, the person that was with him got up and almost started to cry. If I knew it's going to be like this, I would not tell you to come. I'm sorry, Danny. <laughs> Danny is not a stupid man. The religion is totally man-made. There's nothing to do with God. That's why he has thousands of contradictions. The more you learn about it, the more you're surprised how intelligent people would waste a minute on this book. Sometimes I speak to Christian people, in 10 minutes they get the point. So you're right. In that case, J.C. is not the Messiah and he's not the son of God because he's not from the family of King David. So he can never be the Messiah. I got the point. And then what you ask him, so what are you going to do in December 25th? I'm going to my parents for Christmas. But I just proved to you there was no JC. It's all baloney. It's a fairy tale. So that leads us to understand. You have to understand, Rabotai. By the Goim, the religion is a culture. They got used to it. They grew up like this. They like the tree. They like the gifts. They enjoy the family gather together. They sometimes even enjoy to come to the church to, and pray. It makes them satisfied. It gives them some something in life. Without this, what kind of life are they going to have? Everything uh, material, material. They want something spiritual. It makes them happy. It has nothing to do with the truth. If the book is from God, not from God, eh, that's not so important. We, are, we cannot live without Christmas and we cannot live without New Year's Eve. How are we going to live without kissing stranger on the street in Manhattan at midnight? How are we going to live without fireworks, without part? This is the way we grew up. The Jewish people are not allowed to be robots. This is the way we are used to and that's how we have to do it. No, no, no. 
The Torah always tells you, ask questions, investigate. Don't believe in anything until you get your answers. The entire Torah, the entire Talmud is questions and answers. For every one of you who learned Gemara, after one day you already know. The Gemara is question, answer, question, answer, question, answer. You go to the church and you say, Father, I have a question. How is it possible that JC fed 500 people with one loaf of bread? Son, you're not allowed to ask questions. You're not allowed. It's, it's a fate. You have to believe. We are the believers. You have to believe, you have to believe, you have to believe, you have to believe. There's nothing wrong with having faith. It's a part of the religion also in Judaism. You have to have faith in God. You have to have faith that God is watching you and he's going to give you what to eat and he's going to take care of, you, uh, of your family. That's a part of life by Jews and by non-Jews. But there's only one problem. The Torah say before faith there's something much more important. What is it? Knowledge. The Torah does not say to any Jew, you have to believe in me, that I am God. If somebody say, I believe in God, he actually say, I don't believe in God. Because when you ask him, ah, you believe in God? Very nice. How many percent? From zero to a hundred. He's going to say, 80 percent. Eight. So you put your money on 80 percent chance that God exists? Yeah, 80 percent. It's a lot, but not enough. There's 20% doubt. Would you buy a business that has 20% chance to go bankrupt in three months? It has 80% to make millions. But it has 20% that your money will be lost, the million dollar you're about to put, 80% that it will become $3 million, 20% that the million dollar will be wiped out in two weeks. Would you put your money there? Most people won't. But you maybe make three million, but I may lose the million. Why should I take a risk? Let me find a business that is 99%. The Torah does not say believe in God. The Torah says you have to know I'm your God. The whole world should know I'm God. How do you know? How can you know God exists? You can't see him, you can't taste him, you cannot smell him. You cannot touch him. You cannot hear him. How do you know? How do you know? Radio waves in the air. Cell phone waves. Laser in the air. All kinds of things that, they, that, that, that space has. Do you see it? Do you smell it? Can you taste it? Can you hear it? Can you touch it? There's a lot of radio waves here in the room. A lot. Millions. All kinds of waves. Can you touch it? No. Can you taste? Can you see? Can you prove it with the five senses? No. How do you know there are radio waves here in a room? Very simple. You have a transmitter over here, and you have a receiver over there, and the receiver works. Someone in Los Angeles is speaking, and a second later you hear it in New York, and you watch it. So you know it came from Los Angeles to New York in a few seconds, through the air. Something in the air brought it. You cannot see it, but you know it exists. One million percent. That's the story of God. You can see him. You can taste him. You cannot smell him. You cannot hear him. And you cannot touch him. 
but you know one million percent he exists. How? How do you know? There are many ways to know. First, you see the world. Unbelievable order. Trees, fruits, vegetables, leaves. You see two million different kinds of animals. You see so many other things in the world. Everything is designed in such a way. Right? So, based on the creation, over here you understand who is the creator. Yes. You understand? Based on the, yes. Based on the creation, you know the ability of the ability of the creator. And I always say, the more sophisticated is the creation, the more sophisticated is the creator. Right? Everybody understand what I'm saying here? So the Torah does not say to the Jewish people, you have to believe in God. The Torah say you have to know God. How do you know him? From his book. The book tells you who he is. I'll give you an example. If I give you now a book, 300 pages about myself, I tell you everything you need to know about me. Everything. From day one until today. What's the best way for you to know me? Through my book. I tell you where I came from. Everything you know. All the details are in the book. The difference between my book and God's book, I can fool you. I can write fake information. I can tell you I was born in Israel, but maybe I was born in Georgia. I can lie to you. I can tell you I'm a millionaire and I don't have money to buy uh, gum. I can tell you a lot of stories. People lie. With God, it's a different story. The Torah warns us many, many times, don't be a liar. Stay away from lies. Stay away from liars. I cannot stand liars. I cannot stand lies. Symbol of Judaism is the truth. The stamp of God is the truth. The seal of Hashem is the truth, above everything. Person must train himself not only to speak the truth, always to think the truth. Not to be a liar even in his imagination and thoughts. To be honest. To be straight. Not to be a faker. Not to deceive. Not to be crooked. Not to be politically correct. Today it's a very modern and, uh, and popular word. There's a lot of politically correct people. Why? It saves you from headache. The more politically correct you are, less headache you have. You want to make everyone happy. You tell the righteous nice thing. You tell the wicked nice thing. Everyone is happy. Every, you want everyone to like you. You want no one to hate you. You want no one to fight you. It looks like a brilliant idea to be politically correct. Look, everyone likes me. The righteous, the wicked, male, female, young, old, Jews, non-Jews, religious, not religious. Everybody likes him. Not one person hates him. Is it a good thing or a bad thing? What do you think? If a righteous person loves you, and a wicked person loves you just as much. Is that a good sign or a very bad sign? What do you think? Huh? 
very bad sign. Someone that the wicked people loves him, if he's a rabbi, a speaker, and the wicked people loves him, that means he never ever told them the truth. What's going to happen to them? If he will tell them what's going to be their end according to the book of God, believe me, they won't like him so much. Because the nature of people is, as soon as someone tells you the truth about yourself, you can't look at him anymore. Why? Who knows why? Why when someone comes and tells you the truth about yourself, even though you say the same truth to your wife last night, he told you exactly what you already know about yourself. You yourself came to your wife, or to your brother, or to your father, and told him about your problem, and how you are, and, how we, and you wish you can change, and it makes you suffer so much. And then the next day, someone came and told you in your face the same truth. And you can't look at him anymore. Why is it? Why? You know it's the truth, so why are you getting angry? Why? The answer is because you're full of ego. The ego kills you. It's not about what he say, because you know he's right. The question is, how did he dare to say it? How is it possible that he thinks about me what I think about myself? I have the right to think, but he doesn't. I'll give you an example. One person came to the rabbi, he slaughtered a cow. Cow is about $5,000 to buy a big fat cow, a lot of money. And you can sell it for $15,000 if you slice it for steaks. It's a lot of, a uh, few tons of meat. Every piece of steak, $13, $15. It's a lot of money. So he comes with the cow to the rabbi. Rabbi, can you come check the long, tell me if it's kosher or not? The rabbi come, he put some air. No, there's a hole in the long. Not kosher. Ahmed, yeah. Come take the cow for $300. What can you do? It's become halal meat. The Arab will buy it. The Arab will eat it. So, the question is, so the question is, how much damage the rabbi just made you by telling you it's not kosher? Almost $5,000, no? Do you get angry at the rabbi? Not only you're not getting angry, rabbi, thank you for saving us. Baruch Hashem, we didn't eat taref. Thank you, we appreciate it. A week later, you come to the rabbi. You have a fight with another Jew, about $5,000. You and your partner. You claim you deserve the money. You sold the house together. And your partner claim he deserves the money. And you fight with him in a bedin. Same rabbi that a week ago told you the cow is not kosher and you just lost $5,000. Same rabbi told you your friend is right. Give him the $5,000. You get so angry, you throw the table. What kind of a rabbi you are? This bedding is corrupted. I'm sure he gives you some bribe. Then he goes in the entire town and speaks Lashon about the rabbi. Something like this really happened in reality. So the rabbi calls him back and says, I don't understand. When you come to ask me about the cow and I told you it's not kosher, you count on me? You will lost $5,000 in a second. Not only you did not get angry, you even thank me. And now I told you he is right. If you're going to keep the money, it's stealing. I'm saving you from another sin. A week ago I saved you from eating taref. Now I'm saving you from being a thief. 
Why you got so angry? Because now the ego got hurt. When the cow is not kosher, that's not a question of ego. When my friend won and I lost, the ego is fuming. You understand? A human being is all ego. All ego. That's why, look at all the politicians. All the politicians. They come to an argument. You already know 100% what they're going to say. Always. And you're always right. For instance, you have uh, in Israel Benjamin Netanyahu. And he has few young uh, members of the Knesset that always defend him. And then you have the people that hate him. They make a lot of debate. It doesn't really matter what they say. Nobody listens to the other anyway. They came to say right, they came to say left. He doesn't listen to him, he doesn't listen to him. Nobody cares about the truth. It doesn't matter whether you prove, you bring proof, you prove that he's wrong, you can prove to the whole world. Nobody cares. My job is to defend my boss. His job is to ruin his reputation. That's how they come to the argument. The truth, it's not a factor. Most people in the world, they don't care about the truth. They only care what's in it for me. What will I get? Will I get what I want or will I not get what I want? But what about the truth? I don't care about the truth. I want to win. The idea is to win. I give you an example. You can be a Bachur Yeshiva 20 years learning Gemara. Genius. And you really work on your personality traits. You improved a lot. Usually when you learn Torah 20 years, you improve a lot. But even Bachur Yeshiva, when they go to play soccer on Friday in a park, you see the corrupted personality traits that they have. After 20 years of learning. What's the proof? I'll give you the proof. I'll give you the proof. When you come to play, some of the Bachurei Shiva are good players. Some have no idea how to kick a ball. But they also want to enjoy. But they don't know how to play. They don't know how to play. So let's say you play six against six. But you have 14 people. 14. So what do you do? Two stay outside, and they're going to come next. Those two will choose four from the losing team, and it's going to be cycles. The losing team will sit outside. Okay. There will be people that will come one year every Friday, 52 Fridays, and they will always choose only the best player, and they have no problem that there are two weak players that sit every Friday outside and they hardly play just because they must win. But what about what the Torah said not to hurt the feeling of another person? What about the Torah said to help the weak? What about all the things that Hashem expects you to do? That doesn't exist on, when you play soccer, it doesn't exist. In Yeshiva, I'm a tzaddik. Now we are in a park. I want to win. It's all about winning. I give you an example. Chess. Playing chess. Is a Jewish game or no? What do you think? Huh? It's a Jewish game or no? Huh? 
Who invented chess? Some say King Solomon. Some say the Persians. It may be a Persian game because the name of the king is Shah. When you attack the king, you say Shah. The Shah, the Iranian Shah. That means a king in, in Farsi. So it could be a Persian game. But is it comply with the laws of the Torah? No. Why? In chess, the queen is stronger than the king. In the Torah, something like this can never happen. You understand? Maybe today, when you have liberal, politically correct, uh, lefties, rabbis from the university, feminism for them is more important than Hashem. Yes. So in their world, maybe yes. But in reality, the Torah said, what's the role of a man? What's the role of a woman? The woman has her kingdom in life. She will decide the decoration of the house. Women knows better than men decoration. She is going to be in the house more than you anyway. Allow her to choose everything. Everything. Color, shape, size. It's her place. You come at night, you go to sleep, big deal. The couch is not your color. The bed is not the shape you like. The refrigerator is uh, too, too small. You wanted something different. Well, who cares? That's the place. Many other things. Food, cooking, cleaning, taking care of the children, buying them clothes, sending them to school. This is all the women. The Torah say, Hashem put the souls of the children in the hand of the woman, not in the hand of the man. Take the father away for three months, the kids will function just as good and sometimes even better. Well, I, have a, I have a friend, I have a friend, he's a son, he's a son of a giant rabbi, one of the biggest we had in a generation. Who is he? Rabbi Wolby. The Avolbi, this big mashgiach, Aleishur. His son is a good friend of mine, sits next to me in a shul. And he sees that I go a lot on, on, on trips. I go to Israel three weeks, I go to LA a week, I go. So I'm, I'm missing a lot of Shabbatot in Mansi. So when he sees me after a month, where were you? Israel. Two months later, where were you again? Israel. Where were you again? Europe. Mexico. This, that. He said to me, what kind of parenthood is that? You leave your children like this, so you should say thank you. <laughs> Baruch Hashem, the more I'm away, the better they get. <laughs> Why? Do we know how to raise children? Maybe in our dreams. Sometimes it's better you won't be around. Hashem put the kids in the hand of the women. How the children will be most likely is the way the mother is. That's the one that, ra that raised them. David Amelech in Tehillim. We just say today Halel was Rosh Chodesh Te Tevet today. Did you pay attention what you, uh, what you say in Halel? David say Ani Avdecha Ben Amatecha or Ben Amasecha. It's the same way. Ani avdecha ben amatecha. What does it mean? I'm your servant, son of your female servant. But everybody has to know David Amelech, King David, his father was the biggest tzaddik in the whole world. Ishai. David ben Ishai. 
Four people in the history of the world never made one sin in their entire life. And Ishai was one of those four. <laughs> so we make a sin every 30 seconds. And if we're lucky, every 30 minutes. And if we are more lucky, every 30 hours. Ooh, or, that's already tzaddik gadol. What, only one sin every 30 hours? Every one and a half day, one sin. Almost the Baba Sali. Almost. But Ishai lived his entire life, did not make one sin. So if your father is such a holy man, such a tzaddik, such a chacham, you want to write who you are. Should you name yourself after your father? Or should you name yourself after your anonymous mother that nobody knows who she is? Nobody knows she is. As great as she is, she's a housewife. She's not a Rosh Yeshiva. She's not a Mashgiach. She's not a prophet. She's a good woman. Like many thousands of religious women that nobody knows who they are. So if your father is Chacham Ovadia Yosef, if your father is Ravolbi, if your father is Rav Shach or Rav Eliashiv or any of those giants, you would like to, everybody to know that you come from a very special family. On your Shiduch resume, you will make sure to write your father information. And if you don't put your mother information, not the end of the world. After you put the name of your father, everybody stands online already, right? Everybody understand that. Even the mother will tell you, what are you putting my name, you fool? Put your father's name. Who knows me in the world? But everybody knows your father. You want every door in the world to be open for you? You want to get the best shidduch? Put your father's name, don't put my name. That's the question, is why David Amelech put the name of his mother in Halel, in Tehilim. Not the name of his father. Ani avdecha ben amatecha. It should be, Ani avdecha ben avdecha. I'm your servant, son of your male servant, Ishai. Why would he choose his mother more than his father? The answer is, the only one understood him and supported him in his hard days was his mother. Judaism, rule number one in Judaism, don't ever be ungrateful, ever. If you are an ungrateful person, you can never be a kosher Jew. And it doesn't matter how beautiful is your beard and your sombrero, and how many times you finish the old Talmud and the Shulchan Aruch, and what a genius head you have, and who is your father and grandfather, doesn't matter. If you are an ungrateful person, you don't appreciate, that means you have a serious defect in your personality character. Why? Because Judaism is all about two things. If somebody asks you, define Judaism in one word, the word would be modeh. One word, four letters. That's, Jude that's what Judaism is all about. The word modeh. In Hebrew, has two meanings, modeh ala emet and modeh milashon toda. It's true, and thank you. That's what Judaism is all about. Look, all the brachot. What is all the brachot? Thank you for giving us food. And all the praising of the, of the tefillah, suke de zimra, hallelujah, az yashir Moshe. What is this? Praising Hashem. Admitting about the truth. Admitting about His greatness. That's what Judaism is all about. Everything you are trying to do is to say thank you, to say thank you always, to be grateful, 
and always to stick to the truth and admit. If you do that, you will always be righteous. Always. Because if a customer is right, you will give him his money right away. You will never fight him and you'll never steal his money. Because the truth is more important to you than your pocket and your bank account and your benefits. The truth must always be above everything. One of the problems is today's generation that a lot of religious leaders became politicians. Yes, they know Torah. Yes, they are very talented in many things. But in the most important thing, sacrifice for the truth, we are now very much defected. Last giants in this generation that never moved an inch from the truth was Rav Avigdor Miller, Rav Bravda. That was a perfect example. They never care what the people think about them. They never care what the people will say after the speech. They never care if you agree with them or disagree, or if it's popular to say it, or it's going to cause them problem, or they're going to lose some members in a congregation, or the donations will be cut by half, or maybe they will embarrass them, or maybe they will make a horrible article tomorrow in one of these lousy magazines about them. They never cared about this thing. That's the truth. That must be said. What's going to happen later, it's not in my hand. But you're going to stay without a job. It's not my problem. But nobody would invite you. It's not my problem. It's Hashem's problem. Do I have permission right now to lie? To be a snake? To be a crook? So the person would say, No, Rabbi, I didn't tell you God forbid to be a crook. You're not suggesting that I'm teaching you to be a crook. No. I'm not asking you to be Lavana Arami. I'm just asking you to be politically correct. Politically correct means to be a liar, to be a cheater, to be a deceiver, to be a crook, to be a crooked person. That's what it means. I just found a nice way, a word for that. But it's the same thing. When you say one thing and the truth is something else, you are a liar. And you mispresent the book of God. You have no permission to represent the book of God in a different way than what it's really written. Anything else, you can say your opinion. Art. There is a picture. I saw a statue that one woman from Flatbush here bought for $105 million. It looks like the tripod. You see this tripod for 30 bucks? If I would see this statue in a garbage pile on a sidewalk of Flatbush, I swear to you, I will not even bend down to look at that. Maybe I should pick it up. If you come and say to me, do you want to put it in your house? I will tell you, well, normal, my, my house is a junkyard. <laughs> Why are you giving me this garbage? $105 million. That's my opinion. The expert in the art world will tell Ignore him, he's a moron. What does he know about art? People are fighting who's going to buy this junk for $100 million. Has to have a value. Okay. Art, one person would think it's worth a lot. One person think it's worth nothing. One person think you're great. One person think you're nothing. If you're a film producer, some of the people who criticize your film will give you great mark. Some will crush you. Same film. One say recommended, one say very not recommended. It's no problem. People have different opinions. But when it comes to a divine book, 
You cannot mix your personal opinion. I give you an example. One person has a gay brother. Every time they ask him now questions about this, he's very lenient about it. He doesn't write that he's correct. He does not write that he's dead by stoning. Why is it? Why? Because he's emotionally affected. A real honest person, a real honest person will always answer the truth. I'll give you an example. Rav Ovadia Yosef Zatzal. Did you hear about him? Did you hear about him or no? He was a real big leader, right? One time he gave a lecture in Israel against the wigs that women wear. Religious women wear wigs in many places. Some rabbis say that it's not permitted. Some say it's permitted, some say it's not permitted. There's a big argument about it. His opinion was that it's extremely bad to use wigs and it's for totally not, for, not allowed, Co completely forbidden. He repeated it hundreds of times in his speeches and in his books. One time he gave a speech in Yerushalayim to hundreds of people in a big event and he was speaking very, very much against it and one fool got up from the audience. You know these fools that they always ask the wrong question in the wrong time? He got up in front of 500 people, Kvod Arav! The Rav is speaking so much against the wigs, but the Rav daughter-in-law is walking in the street with a wig. He couldn't come after the lecture quietly and ask. He has to steal the show. He wants to be in a newspaper tomorrow. Yeah. So the Rav now, this was a real knockout. I've been talking for, for half an hour against it. Now he gets up in front of everyone and says, hey, my, my own son's wife is like this. What was his answer to him? Do you know? He answered to him, so what? There is enough place in hell for her as well. And she eats in his, in his table every week. Tomorrow he has to eat with her Sudat Shabbat. She's going to sit in front of him. That's what you think about me, uh, Dad? You had to embarrass me in front of the whole world? A person asks a question, if I would start defending you, I would lose my entire credit as an honest rabbi and an honest posek. That means I became, that second I became a politician. Politicians come to the Israelis and say the Palestinians are so cruel. Why they shoot rockets at your children? That's against the Geneva Convention. Then they go to the Palestinian. The Israelis are so cruel. We cannot believe this apartheid. You entitled to get your own state back. You fool. 15 minutes ago in Tel Aviv, you just say that they shot rockets at innocent Jews. I can't, we cannot allow it. 15 minutes later, he goes to Ramallah. You are so depressed. The Israelis are putting you down. We have to put an end to it. Total opposite speech. D doesn't he see that it's broadcast to all over the world, those two speeches? Of course he see. Does it bother him? What do you want? I'm a politician. Politician's job is to tell people what they expect to hear. Why? Because it's all about gaining power and fans and money. When it comes to be religious, it's the exact opposite. 
You don't need to look for popularity. You don't have to be hungry for views. And you don't have to be hungry for power. And you don't ha have to be hungry for a job. We don't want a job. Rav Ben-Zion Abba Shaul was the biggest chacham in the world. They begged him to get all kinds of titles. Chief Rabbi, this, we never want. I don't want any of that. Why? You're going to get a salary for life. You're going to get a driver. You're going to get a fancy Volvo. They, you know, it's going to be very thing. Don't want to work under any kinds of organization that will dictate for me what to say, what not to say. For instance, today, if the chief rabbi of Israel wants to speak about a sensitive issue, such as, are you allowed to bury non-Jewish soldiers together with the Jewish soldiers? Based on the Shulchan Aruch, you're not allowed to do it. But then people get angry because they think with their emotions. This is a guy that gave his life to, to protect Israel, and this is a Jew that gave his life to protect Israel. Why the Jew you bury here, and the guy you make a fence, and you bury him over there? So right away they think it's racism. Ah, because we think that the Jew is better than him, which has nothing to do one with the other. It's completely not this, the reason. The reason is, the Gemara said that Jews and non-Jews, when they die, they go to different worlds. You don't mix between them. Not only that, you don't mix between Jews that are Shomer Shabbat and Jews that are not Shomer Shabbat because they also do not go to the same world. Someone that is not Shomer Shabbat is 100% like an Anju in Halakha. That's what Hashem said. Mechalel Shabbat areu kegoy lechol davar. 100% like an Anju. You cannot bury him together with Shomer Shabbat. You have to make a fence between them or a different section. So there's nothing to do with Goy or not or Jew. It's you Shomer Shabbat, you belong to my nation by keeping my covenant or no? If you Shomer Shabbat, you're part of the nation of Israel. If you're not Shomer Shabbat, you're not a part of the nation of Israel. It's written seven times in Shulchan Aruch. Seven times. And you still have speakers out here that say, don't, don't say it, it's not true. Who told you such a thing? Did you learn Shulchan Aruch or no? Did you ever read the book of law or no? If it's written there, why you deny it? If it's not written there, then I'm the crook. One of us is a crook, and I promise you it's not me. Because it's written seven times in Shulchan Aruch, and they know it. But why they don't want to say it? Because it's not good for business. It's not good for the business. I need them to give millions to build a new building. If I will tell them that according to the Torah, when you die, you have no share to the world to come, they would like me or they will hate me? Huh? A best case scenario, maybe they'll give me a plate of popcorn. And they will go to the other one who flatter them and kiss up to them and they'll give him a very nice gift. Why? Because he makes them feel very good with their sins. Rabbi, that everyone likes him, is a faker. Rabbi that everyone hates him is also a faker. Rabbi that half of the people likes him and half of the people hates him, yeah, there is a chance that is kosher. Maybe, yes, maybe not, but there is a chance. And I'll tell you why. Let's think about the logic behind it. Rabbi that all the tzaddikim loves him and all the gays love him, and all the Mechalele Shabbat loves him, and all the Hamas terrorists love him, and all the thieves love him, 
and all the pedophiles love him, what does it tell you about him? That he's kissing up to everyone. That's why they all love him. Fantastic. What a, there's not a threat. I don't feel intimidated around him. Very nice. Top. Rabbi, that everyone hates him. One thing, the wicked people hate him, makes sense. But why all the righteous people hate him also? Something here is not right. Maybe he's too arrogant. Maybe he's full of himself. Maybe he's full of ego. Maybe he's not honest. Something they see in him that they don't like. Doesn't smell so good. Rabbi, that the righteous people love him and the wicked people hate him, that's very good. Because he says the truth and the wicked people get hurt. Because who are you talking about? When you read in the Torah certain stories, some people read it and it doesn't wake them up. Remember what I told you about the Christian? You just proved to him that the New Testament is not the book of God. Then you ask him, so what do you do next week? I'm going to my parents from, for Christmas. And I just proved to you that the book is not from God. Who cares? We like the tree. We like the gift. What do we care, true or not true? Uh, how is life going to be now? I have a week off from, from work. You know, in Lausanne, in Switzerland, there was one genius rabbi. His name was Rav Berkowitz. He was very sharp and also funny. When he arrived to Switzerland, it's very difficult to get a citizenship over there. This is a rich country. They don't want beggars to come <laughs> and eat from the cake. Just like Sodom. They didn't want anyone to come and live in Sodom. It was against the law to have guests. Don't come. Don't come to our town. We're not interested in immigrants. That's Sodom Amora. So... The same thing over here is in, the, in Lausanne, in Switzerland. They don't want foreigners and they don't want to give citizenship to anyone. That's it. Now, how is Rav Berkowitz going to get a citizenship, especially when he's a Jew? That makes it even twice harder, right? So he came in front of a committee and they asked him, Mr. Berkowitz, Rabbi Berkowitz, give us one reason why we should give you a citizenship. So he told them, all of us know that one day the Messiah will come. And when the Messiah, J.C., will come, they're all like, oh, the rabbi believe in J.C.? When J.C. will come, and he's going to come to all of you and say, my sons, my daughters, the salvation began. Uh, everyone follow me to the Holy Land. What language... He will be speaking French, German. None of you will understand what he speaks. He will speak the language of the Torah. You would need me to be the mediator between him and you. <laughs> Even these cold as eyes, sweet people, as cold as they are, they were laughing, falling on the floor. They say, I like this guy. Tuck, boom, welcome to Switzerland. That's how he got to see it in one minute. Look how brilliant. So now he works in some place, and it's December 24th. They're about to go now on vacation for December 25th, like the rest of the world. So he comes to one Christian guy. Hey, Greens, how are you? Tonight, I want you to know, it's the happiest night for me in the entire year. 
Chris looks at him, Rabbi, are you joking? No, no, I'm not joking. You don't know, I'm making such a big meal and I drink l'chaim. I'm celebrating tonight. What, you became Christian? No, but I'm very happy tonight. Why so happy? Where else in the rest of the year you have two billion Christians bow down to one Jew? <laughs> December 26th, that, that Chris comes back to work. He said to him, Rabbi, shame on you, you ruined my entire holiday. The entire holiday I could not pray in a church. Now that's it, I don't want to hear about JC anymore. <laughs> I'm bowing down to a Jew. You understand? Antisemitism is antisemitism. But they never thought about that our hero is actually a Jew. By the way, JC also died as a Jew. He never became a different religion because there was no other religion. Christianity started between 70 to 300 years after he died. He never started a new religion. And by the way, just that you know, December 25th and January 1st has nothing to do with JC. Guarantee. Nothing to do with his birth, nothing to do with anything. Because for the first 300 years, Christianity did not even celebrate it. Nobody talked about it. It only started much, much later when they saw there's not enough holidays, someone made it up. Hey, listen, the holiday, the, the religion is too boring. Look at the Jews, every two weeks a holiday. You know? So, in the beginning, the first Christians were all Jews, almost. They kept Shabbat, they did Brit Milah. He had a gang, a group. He gathered them on the streets. But they, they did not go anywhere. Only when the Romans joined them, they became a massive religion with a lot of people. The Romans did not have a religion. The Romans say, we don't want to join Christianity. Why? Because you circumcise the, the babies and you don't walk on the seventh day. We want to walk every day. It's a waste of money not to walk. And we don't believe in defecting the body. We want the body to be complete. So the, the, those first Christians told them, let's compromise. We will cancel Shabbat and circumcision if you join us. And that's how the religion became very much different than the way it used to be. In the beginning, it was mamash like Judaism. Almost everything was the same, just that he was their guru. But they put filin, they ate kosher, they learned from the... Not only that, in the New Testament, it says that J.C. said to his student, you must respect the rabbis, because the rabbi sits on the chair of Moses, meaning they continue his mission. That's what's written in the New Testament, clearly. Not only that, in the book of Matthew 5, verse 17, he said to his followers, I did not come to contradict the Torah. I did not come to change one letter from the Torah, even a part of the letter. If someone will change one letter from the Torah or one law and will teach otherwise to other people, he will be cursed by the kingdom of heaven. Meaning every one of my students, you should know, no one is allowed to change one word from the Torah and one law from the Torah. Now you go and ask Christians today, tell me what law of the Torah you keep. The answer is none. They don't keep one of the 613 commandments. Nothing. They don't observe the Sabbath. They don't eat kosher. They don't keep anything. 
לנון כיפור שושנה, לנון כיפור יום כיפור, די התחמץ אין פסח. You understand? Now, I started to explain to you, sometimes the goyim are more righteous than they need to be. For instance, I had a couple, they met in a church, and they're together for three years, and they've never been together intimately. Three years they're together, the father in a church told them, you're not allowed to be together until you get married. One time they heard my speech, that the goyim, they don't have this rule. They meet each other, they can be together right away, like husband and wife. They don't have kiddushin, they don't get married, they don't get divorced, nothing. They can just be together, be the, uh, faithful to each other, and that's it. And they can have children, it's no problem. When they heard that, right away they sent me an email. We're suffering for three years. You want to tell us that this all was for nothing? I say, yes. Do you know that God gave the first book, right, the Torah? None of you deny it, right? All Christians in me. In the Torah says that a man that marry a woman, it's only by the Jews. As Rambam writes in Shulchan Aruch, before the Torah was given, even the Jews, before they got the Torah, a man meets a woman in the street, they like each other, they decide to be together, they move in, then they can have children, no problem. No marriage. After we got the Torah, one of the 613 commandments is to marry a woman in a certain ceremony. And if it did not work out, one of the 613 commandments is to get divorced in a proper way. But it's only by Jews. The Gentiles never got that. They can get together and have children, and they're not sinners. They think, oh, it cannot be. We also love God and we believe in God. How can we be together if we never got married? You don't need to get married. You learn it from the Jews, but it doesn't apply to you. Same thing, a lot of the Gentiles, they also eat kosher. You go to Costco, you see half of the meat they sell is to non-Jews. I ask one of them, why do you pay double on the meat? You have right there half a price. So you know what the answer? If God told the Jewish people to eat this and don't touch this, do you think that he knows what he's talking about or no? I say, you don't have to convince me. I just wanted to save you money. He said, don't worry about my money. If God told the Jews to eat this, that means that's much better than this. That means I'm going to pay triple if I have to. Oh, smart guy. But reality, does he have to eat uh, kosher? Doesn't make a difference. If he eat kosher or eat not kosher, same thing. Not a mitzvah, not a sin, nothing. Can eat dogs, can eat cats, can eat uh, the monkeys, can eat worms, can eat everything he wants in one condition, that it's dead. It's not alive. Like the Chinese, they have the mice moving in a plate, little ones. They grab them with the tweezer like peanuts. <laughs> you saw the movie or no? You saw that video? The mouse is moving in a plate. It's not dead. Alive, they eat them. I saw one Chinese girl, 16 years old, eating a scorpion, like this. I don't know what, what is going to do in her stomach. Or eat her up, I don't know. What. They swallow them alive. That's against the laws of the, of the Gentiles. That's a big crime for a non-Jew to eat animals that are not fully dead. But how they die, it doesn't matter, as long as they die. And what kind of animals? 
all kinds of animals. Horses, donkeys, snakes, everything they want to eat. You like it? Eat it. No problem. Make sure it's dead first. How many of them will not eat this and will not eat that for nothing? They waste their time and energy. They can eat whatever they want. It's not a crime. So you see, I give you an example by Muslims. Muslims torture themselves 40 days in a Ramadan. 40 days. Is this a good deed for them or it's a sin? It's a sin. Muslims will be punished for fasting in a Ramadan. Why? What's wrong with fasting? I fast for you. I fast for my sin. The Jews fast on Yom Kippur. The Jews fast on the destruction of the temple. We learn from the Jews that it's a good thing to fast. Quran started 2,000 years after the Torah. The, the Arabs, everything they do, they learn from the Jews. They don't eat pork. How do they know not to eat pig? They call it hanzir. The Jews call it hazir. Something went wrong there. I don't know. They call it hanzir. But it's the same thing. They don't charge interest from each other. Where they learn this idea? From the Torah. Their women is covered from head to toe. Where did they learn that from? From the Jewish women in the time of the Torah. So everything they do, a lot of what they do, they pray in a certain way, they bow down, they learn from the Jews. So now they saw that the Jews are fasting, they also want to fast. The question is, why the Jews get a reward when they fast, and the Muslims will be punished when they fast? Why? The answer is because the Jews follow divine instructions of the real God, and they follow instruction of a fake prophet. The Torah said to the Jewish people, if a fake prophet come to you and tempt you to follow him, and he tells you that what he say, this is what I told him to say, don't be fooled by him. Make sure you don't follow fake prophets. If you catch someone that becomes a fake prophet, what do you have to do to him? Kill him. Execute him. Muhammad, what chance there is that he was a prophet? From zero to hundred, the answer, minus one hundred. <laughs> How am I so sure? Let me give you a list of reasons. First, he wasn't Jewish. That's already a bad start. Okay. Second, he didn't know how to read and write, based on what the Arabs say. He didn't know how to read. How can you be a prophet, man of God, and you don't know how to read? The only way to become a prophet is to be educated, to know a lot of Torah. If you don't know Torah, someone who never learned Torah, can he be a prophet? How he can be a prophet? He can teach. A teacher that doesn't know how to read and write can teach children Torah? That's the biggest uh, irony. It cannot be. Another reason... How many prophecies you have in the Quran? Zero. If you find one prophecy in the Quran, come to me, I'll give you a thousand dollars gift. Arabs are listening as well. I'm still waiting for them to bring one proof. You will never find one prophecy in the entire Quran. How many times Jerusalem is mentioned in the Quran? Zero times. Not only Jerusalem is not important to the original Muslims, 
it was a very bad place. They threw all the impure Muslims to there. While they were going to Mecca and Medina, Al-Quds means outside. Those who are impure, they threw them to Jerusalem. When they pray, they pray with their back to Jerusalem. Now, they don't bow down to Jerusalem. They bow down to the opposite side. So, all of a sudden, the Islam of today wasn't the Islam that was 1,400 years ago. Complete different story. In the Quran, Muhammad speaks good about the Jews or bad? Let me tell you some of the things he said. He said, Allah, God, took the Jews out of Egypt, saved them from the evil king, Paro, brought them to the promised land, and gave them the land to inherit it from one side to another. I blessed the chosen people, I saved them from the evil kings, and I brought them to the promised land. This is in the Quran. In my film, Torah and Science, I show all the surahs, all the sources. Many of the things that he did, speaking very nice about the Jews. But then you have one time that he say, one day the Jews will hide behind the rock and behind the tree. And the rock and the tree would scream, there is a filthy Jew here. Come, catch him and kill him. How can it be such a contradiction? In the first half of the Quran, he speaks very nice about the Jews. And in the end, he said that you have to kill them. What happened? In the Quran, it says that he had a friend, Jew, that he only trusted him to keep his sword. You know, he was very good with his sword. Everyone who did not want to follow him got the sword in his head. So when he wanted someone to watch his sword, he went to the Jew and gave him this and the thing. And he said to them, you can do business with the Jews. They're like us. They don't charge interest. So how all of a sudden, in the end, he decided that you, you should one day kill the Jews. That's, by the way, the reason to what, what you see today, everywhere you go. That verse creates all that problems. So what's going on? Very simple. He was in the Saudi Arabia area, desert. There were many, many tribes. The Jews were also there. He came to the Jews to accept him as a real prophet, like all the holy prophets. The Jews did not want to accept him as a prophet because they knew he doesn't have any prophecy. He doesn't even know how to read and write. What's the connection between him and Hashem? Does he know Torah? Does he know Halakha? He doesn't know anything. So the Jews kept pushing him away. While he was hoping that the Jews would back him up and make a coalition, look, even the chosen people accepted me as a prophet. That would make him a legend. But the Jews in the end betrayed him. They did not accept him as a prophet. As his frustration, he wrote horrible things about them in the end. But it has nothing to do with God. Nothing to do with the real truth of the Torah. Nothing whatsoever. According to the Quran, who is the uncle of JC? According to the Quran, JC, the Christian, lived 2,000 years ago, 700 years before Muhammad. Muhammad is speaking about JC. They speak about JC in the Quran, not only about the Torah, they also speak about Christianity. According to the mistakes of the Quran, which is full of mistakes, According to the Quran, who is the uncle of JC? You won't believe it. 
משה רבנו and Aaron. According to the Quran, JC is the son of Maryam. Maryam, the daughter of Amran. They made a mistake between two Miriam. Miriam, the mother of JC, Mary or Maria, whatever you want to call her, she lived 2,000 years ago. And Miriam, the sister of Moshe and Aaron, she lived 3,400 years ago, 1,400 years before. When they read the Torah and they read the New Testament, they made a mistake. They thought that these two Miriam is one woman. As a result of it, it's written in the Quran, test me, you don't have to believe me, that the uncle of JC is Moses, Moshe Rabbeinu, and Aaron. What else do you need to know that this book has no connection to God whatsoever and all the people they kill in the name of Islam is all waste. There's no God that gave them a book, nothing whatsoever. But this is just to show you how in five minutes you can tell that a religion is fake. Our Torah, nobody in history can find one mistake over there. Not only that, the Torah is full of prophecy. Every chapter of the Torah you open, I will show you prophecies. Many years ago, like 20 years ago, I gave a lecture in Yonkers, like here. And there was one Israeli atheist, anti. It bothers him, you know, when he hears a shiur. Every two seconds he disturbed me with his nonsense. So then I said, as a matter of fact, if you bring me now the Torah, any one of you, every page you open, I will show you prophecies over there. Of course, this wise guy right away jumped. Oh, yeah? Bring the Torah, Moshe. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I said, oh, no. Maybe I over-exaggerated a little bit. What happens if there's a page that it doesn't have prophecy? There's hundreds of prophecy, but maybe that page doesn't have. It's the end of my career before it even started. So he brought this and said, Hashem, you're not going to do it to me now. You got to back me up here. <laughs> my heart went from 48 to 248. He brought the Torah, Kobe his name was. I don't forget his face. Boom! Where did he open? Parashat Bechukotai. Every line is a prophecy. I say, you ready? One, two, three, four, five, six, seven. So what? It's all in one page? I say, come, read. <laughs> After that, he never made a peep. It was a weekly shiur. Not a peep. Sat down like a fish. Why? <laughs> he got the point. Even the Holocaust is written in the Torah. 3,250 years before it started. Who knows in which parasha, which chapter? Parashat Vayelech. God said to Moshe, one day after you pass, these Jewish people will rebel against me. I already told you that they are stubborn, stiff-necked nation. Everything with them goes hard. And one day they would leave me and they follow different religions, different gods, the gods of the Goim, of the Gentiles. And at that time I would be so angry at them, I would be so angry at them that I would put them in the hand of these cruel Goim. And I will not be there. 
I will close my face, not seeing what the goyim will do to them. That's what's written in Parashat Vayelech. If you have the Chumash here, I can read to you word by word. In that chapter, in that page, you have an equal code hidden inside the text. What do you have? Ashoah. Hey. Shin. Vav. Aleph. Hey. Hey. 49 letters. Shin. 49 letters. Vav. 49 letters. Aleph. 49 letters. Hey. The word Holocaust is hidden in the text in equal skip. Mathematical code. Hidden by Hashem inside that if one day you will ask what did God mean by this tragedy? You should know I'm talking about the Holocaust that will happen. What's the connection to 49? 49, the Torah always highlights number 7. 7 in Judaism is a special number. Shabbat, 7 days. Shemitah, 7, seven years. Yovel, 7 times 7. Nida, after the Nida, 7 days. Passover, seven days. Sukkot, seven days. Everything, seven, seven, seven. Everything. You want to learn about Avraham Avinu? Avraham Avinu appears in a chapter seven or fourteen times or thirty-five times, always in equal, equal groups of seven. Avimelech, seven times. Paro, seven times. Everything, seven, seven, seven. It's all built in a beautiful way. The Torah... To, to highlight number seven. Why seven is special? Why not eight? Why not ten? Why seven is a special number? Very simple. I show you what I mean. You see? Here, look. What do you see over here? It looks like a, a, a cookie or a cake. How many dimensions it has? You have up. You have down. You have south. You have north, west, and east. Every material has six dimensions. Up and down and four directions. Right? Four directions? Okay. Seven is going out of the material world. Out of the material world. This world, it's a physical world. Seven, it's spirituality. What's number eight? What? Eternity. Eight is eternity. If you go, if you have a highway shape of number eight and you drive straight for hours, what happens? You keep driving and driving and driving and the highway will never end because it goes in the shape of eight. One person told me that space is also in the shape of eight. Even though it's endless size, but if you go with a spaceship, you just go straight, you're going to end, end up going in eight. I want to tell you something. When I was in the army, in training, in the Air Force we were, where they gave us training. So I remember the word of the, of the general. He said, do you know that if you walk all week straight in a desert, you will end in the same place where you started your journey? Who knows what he said? Now you're in the middle of endless desert. M million miles square. You walk straight. 
you walk, 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 walk for a week, for four years. After a certain amount of time, whether it's a week, whether it's a month, whether it's a year, we don't know exactly the time, you will come to the same place where you left from. Why? Everyone besides Benji. Anyone have an answer? The cameraman knows all the answers because he heard it in every one of the lectures. It's not, it's not a part of the quiz. No? What do you say? I'll tell you. Of course, none of us understood what he said until he gave the answer. A person's right, right leg is stronger than the left, meaning he goes a little bit bigger steps. The left makes a smaller step, the right makes a bigger step. So every few minutes, you move a little bit to the left, to the left, to the left, without realizing if somebody watching you from space, you're actually going like this, and you're actually going to end in the same place. If you're lefty, same thing. You're going to make the, the circle from the left side. You see how brilliant? How brilliant? Unbelievable. So, going back to what I started to explain, David Amelech, forgot about him, right? David Amelech is praising his mother, not his father. Why? The one that always backed me up in the hardest times of my life is my mother. That's why I put her in Teilim. When we light the candles today, what Mizmor we say right after we light the candle? Mizmor Shir Chanukat Abayit. Aromimcha Hashem Kidilitani. Velo Simachta Oivayli. Who can tell me what's the meaning of this Pasuk? You probably say that 50,000 times until today because you say it every morning in Shachrit and you say it every year, eight days in Hanukkah. So it's thousands of times. Who can tell me what does it mean? Mizmor Shir Hanukkah Abayit. What's Hanukkah Abayit? When you open a place, new place, you build a home. It's the grand opening. You have a business, grand opening. You have Bet HaMikdash, grand opening. That's called Chanukat Abayit, Lachnoch, to start. So what does it mean, Mizmor Shir Chanukat Abayit? And right after that, Aromimcha Hashem Kidilitani Velo Simachta Oivayli. What's the connection? One pasuk speaking about the opening, grand opening of Bet HaMikdash. And the following pasuk is, I thank you God, that you took me out of the hole. I was deep in a hole. You pulled me out. Kidilitani velosimachta oivayli. And you did not let my enemy rejoice. What's the connection? Now we're going to hear the biggest secret ever. What is this mizmor is about? Everybody knows David Amelech lived seven years. That's it, seven years. And the seven years that he got was actually a donation from Adam. Adam was supposed to live a thousand years. 
But he saw after he seen that the only way he can get out of his trouble is when, when the Mashiach would come, the Messiah would come. But then they showed him that David Amelech is actually planned to be a miscarriage. He's going to fall before he comes to the world. And Adam said, I can't let such a soul not come to the world. So Hashem said, okay, it's up to you to save him. So he donated to him seven years of his life. That's why he died in age 930. By the way, after he did it, he regretted it. He said, no, no, give it back to me. <laughs> That's how people are. You know the, you know the people that uh, they buy a, a woman a nice gift, and then when she says, well, listen, Moshe, you know, I like you, you're a nice guy, but after I was thinking for, while, for a while, I decided not to marry you. First thing, ma, after that, okay, give back the ring, give back this. What do you worry about it? It's two seconds. First, digest the tragedy. Right away, thinking, I bought her this, I gave her that. Give it back. <laughs> That's the way we are. So, Adam Arishon gave him seven years and then changed his mind. But it was too late. David Amelech got seven years. Okay, he came to the world. Now, David Amelech goes to a battle against Goliath, the giant Philistine. He comes big, huge, and David is small, redhead. What's the connection? He's going to step on his head and bury him in the ground. But David had a slingshot. Slingshot. He was very good with the slingshot. Or, or one, either like this or like this, one way or the other. Top. The problem is that this Goliath... He has a helmet, big, heavy metal, and the stone cannot penetrate metal. So David Amelech said, he was a big chacham in Torah, he said to the angel in charge of metal in the world, if you open up the forehead of this rasha that cares God now, I'm going to make a decree that from this moment on, instead of circumcising the baby with sharp rocks, they used to sharp stone and, and cut the orla in a brit mila. I'm making right now a decree that they must use metal from now on. Razors. The angels say, you got it. We have a deal. When the stone went, it, went, it penetrated from his forehead, boom, hit him in the head, cracked his head open, and he fell and he died. There's one more problem. The deal was that whoever's going to win has to chop the head of the other and bring it to the camp of the other nation to prove that I won. The Jews and the Philistines made a deal. Instead of fighting thousands of death from each side, you take the greatest one you have and we take the greatest one we have. They make a battle one against one. If you win, we will be your slaves. If we win, you will be our slaves, meaning pay us taxes and... So they have these huge Goliaths. They're sure they're going to win. Who comes? No, everyone is afraid. No one wants to go to fight him. I feel Shaul. King Shaul is a friend of him. David say, I won against the lion. I killed the bear. I can kill him as well. So he went to a battle and he killed him. But he has to take his sword out to chop his big head. He has a big head. His head was like five watermelons. You got to chop such a head. You need help to pick it up. 
It's a giant. So he doesn't know how to open the knot. The knot is very sophisticated. So because he was so happy that he won, he said, anyone that will open this knot and hand me his sword will get the best Jewish girl to become his wife. Who came? Uriah Achiti. Some goy or convert, who knows who he is. It's not clear who he was. Uriah Achiti. Achiti is one of the seven nations that lived in Israel before we came there. Knani, Achiti, Chivi, Evusi, all this. So, he is the one who made the knot. He opened it up, he took the sword, here you go. David Amelech chopped his head off, brought it in, the Philistines surrender. Hashem said, what, you became the new God? You're making matchmaking now? You became a matchmaker? <laughs> what are you giving him the best girl? The best girl was yours, Batsheva. She was meant for you. That's what you said, that's what you're going to eat. You eat what you cooked. Batsheva goes to him. This Uriah Chiti got the best girl in the whole world, Batsheva, the tzaddika. One time, David Amelech sitting by his window, he looked at the roof of the next door building. Who does he see? Very pretty woman. She goes to, I guess, to do laundry, to do something on the roof, falls in love with her. He checked around. She's married to this Uriah Chiti. Oh my God, I made that mistake. I say, whoever's going to open that will get the best girl, and she and he got her. What happened? When the soldiers went to a war, they used to write a get to their wives. Because if they be missing, they won't be stuck for the rest of their life, agunot. Every soldier gives a get, and when they come back, they re get remarried. Why? Because in case you will never find me, I drown in a lake, the Goim captured me, they made me a slave somewhere, there's no communication, no Red Cross, none of these things. What happened to Gilad Shali, uh, uh, Ron Arad, the Israeli pilot, 40 years is missing. Nobody knows what happened to him. Until this day, nobody knows what happened with him. Maybe he's alive somewhere. No one knows. Everybody says something else. And his wife got stuck, young, pretty, Girl, she was only married a short period of time. For the rest of their life, she could not get married. Horrible tragedy. To avoid such thing, every soldier gives a get, and he goes, and he comes back. So Uriah gave her a get. The soldiers are in a war, and David Amelech said, okay, she's divorced. It's not a sin. He took her, and she became pregnant. And then all of a sudden, Uriah he comes back, he finds out that, oh, yes, I gave you a get, but... It wasn't meant to be. It's supposed to come back to me. So David Amelech did not want to, to make an embarrassment. He sent someone to call him to close the issue before it becomes Chilul Hashem. And he refused to come. And when the king asks someone to come and he says, I don't care what the king say, the Torah says it must be executed. It's called Moret Bamalchut. But David did not want to execute him and take his woman. Because everyone would say, oh, he killed him, and now he took his own woman. What kind of a, of a righteous king we have? So he sent them to a war to die. Put him in the front, that he should die over there, that nothing will happen. That's the story. Now everybody in Israel is saying, David Amelech went with a married woman. 
which is one of the biggest sins of the Torah. Do you know what it means to go with a married woman? Death penalty. Death penalty. And cut for the soul. So what happened? David said to Hashem, five more minutes and we finish. David said to Hashem, Ribono shel olam, people make fun at me. They come to me and say, someone went with a married woman, what's his punishment? That means they're hinting to me. I want you to clear my name in my life. That before I die, people will stop making up lies about me. That I married a married woman. Hashem told him, I will clear your name, but I will not clear your name in your life. I will clear your name in the life of your son Shlomo. That's what Hashem told him. David passed. Shlomo built Bet HaMikdash. Now there are two big doors in Bet HaMikdash to open in a grand opening. They locked. Nobody can open it. Like black magic. Everybody tried to open the door. It's stuck. David, da, uh, Shlomo say, in the merit of Noah, nothing. In the merit of uh, Abraham Avinu, nothing. In the merit of Yitzchak, in the merit of Yaakov, in the merit of Levi, Yosef, nothing, nothing. Moshe Rabbeinu, Aaron, nothing. When he say, in the merit of my father David, the door opened up in front of the whole nation of Israel. And all the clowns who used to make fun, that, who is David? He went with a married woman. When they say the name of David, what happened? The doors opened up. The doors. And all the clowns got the shock of their life. They keep saying, is Rasha, is Rasha. And all of a sudden, Hashem made a miracle and opened the door dafka for him. That's the secret of this Mizmor. Mizmor Shir Chanukat Abayit. The day of the grand opening of Bet HaMikdash. Hashem took me out of the hall. Dilitani. Why he used the word dilitani? Because dilitani is delet. The doors, delet. When the doors of Bet HaMikdash did not open, when my name came up, dilitani, they opened up, and that's how you save my reputation. Aror mimcha Hashem ki dilitani, velo simachta oivayli. All my enemies smile, got wiped out. That's the secret of here. Later, David HaMelech said, Ma betza bedami? Ma, what, are, what interest you have in my blood? Meaning, if you kill me, how is it going to benefit you, Hashem? Ma betza bedami berideti el shachat? Shachat is one of the seven places in Geinom. You have Bor, Titayaven, Tachtit Haaretz, Shachat, yes, all kinds, Sheol, there's seven different places. So David HaMelech said, If you want to send me to the next world, meaning to kill me, If you kill me, I will become sand. If I will become sand, what would you get by that? Can the sand say thank you to you every day like I do non-stop? 
דעפר יודה לך, never. היותך עפר היגיד עמיתך, descend, can speak and teach the world about your greatness. No. If I will become sand, I cannot benefit you in any way. So it's worth it for you to keep me around that I should continue to praise your name all over the world and that's why we have Sefer Tehilim. So Tehilim is thanks to this. Also, the Dalet is also one more secret in it. We say to Hashem, Alecha horagnu kol hayom. For you, we got killed non-stop Hashem. What does it mean for you? We got killed by whom? By the Goyim. Every generation, they come to kill us. Pogrom, Holocaust, Acquisition, this, that. For you, for you, we got killed non-stop. Don't forget that when you sentence us. Let me give you an example. When we say, Shema Yisrael, Hashem Elokeinu, Hashem Echad, Dalet, it's very similar to Resh, but it has a little bit on the right side comes up. Resh is one, two. The Dalet, the one on the top, goes a little bit to the right. Right? This little chupchik in the edge, it's very small. If by mistake you don't go a little bit to the right, the Dalet will become Resh. Shema Yisrael, Hashem Elokeinu, Hashem, God forbid, Acher. Meaning there's more than one. The Goim said to the Jews, what are we asking from you to do? Just shave this chupchik in the end. That's all. Just keep everything the same. Just this, take it off. We got killed for the Dalet. And that's why we say in Eslichot, Delatecha dafaknu, what Delatot? Hashem has Delet? Delatecha dafaknu, Rachum vechanun, Al teshivenu reka milefanecha. Delatecha dafaknu, every time we wrote Dalet, boom, they punched us, they broke our head, they hung us, that we refuse to change the Dalet. So now it's your time to pay us back. There's a lot of secrets, as you can see. In the Alel, we say today, Reven Maasu Abonim, Aita Lerosh Pina. David Amelech is talking about himself. There was one brick that the contractor, none of them wanted to use. Every time they take it, they want to put it in a wall, throw it to the side. Next builder picks it up, Ah, throw it to the side. They use all the bricks. This brick, constantly they throw it away. This is a parable about himself. Everyone threw me away. My father, my brothers, my friends. They say, oh, go, go in the mountain with the sheep. Take your chalil, take your kinor. Be in the mountain. Don't come around. Why? Because Ishai separated from his wife. And his wife tricked him and became pregnant and got conceived with David Amelech. And Isha himself suspected that David is Chaz Shalom Mamzer. Maybe he's not my son. So he said, don't come around. Be in a mountain. Meaning you, you're embarrassing us. Be over there with the sheep. Nobody likes you. You're alone. 
That's why he, he, he credit his mother. She's the only one that knew the truth. So she never pushed him away because she knew he's the son of, of the real father. That's, that's what it means. Ani avdecha ben amatecha. And it didn't say ani avdecha ben avdecha. Ani avdecha ben amatecha. She knew the truth. She always protected me. When Shmuel came to choose a king from the sons of, uh, of Ishai, all of them stood tall, handsome, and he's a little bit short, red hair, looks a little bit different, and he's one, he wasn't there. And he had a horn, you know, you know, they used to have a shofar, just like the shofar we have. The shofar we have is drilled from one side to another. It's empty. The original, the, the, the current that they used to put the oil was like a bottle. The bottom of the shofar was closed. Inside it was empty, but the big, the white side was closed. It was not cut. So you put oil inside, and you have the narrow, the narrow uh, top. They used to put the oil, and they come to put it on the head of the king. Once the oil drips on the head of the person, it becomes officially the king. That's called shemen amishcha. You also do it in the utensils of Bet HaMikdash. It brings Kedusha. So when Shmuel came, he comes to spill it on the first brother, nothing comes out. The laws of gravity does not work. He comes to the second one, doesn't come out. Third, fourth, fifth, sixth. Said to him, what's going on here? Hashem told me the new king, instead of Shaul, is in this house. And it doesn't come out. That means none of them is the king. I said, trust me. Remember, this is the biggest rabbi in the world, Ishai. <laughs> the biggest tzaddik. You have to listen to him. Trust me, it has to be one of them. I'm sorry. I'm the prophet of Hashem, Shmuel. Hashem told me to do this, and it's not coming out. That means they are not the king. Do you have another son? He cannot be. He's, he's, he's hiding the information. Do you have another son? Yes, but... He was not going to tell him he's not really my son. That's what he thinks. But he's in the mountains with, all day with his flute. He's a musician. He's an astronaut. Merachef. He's alone all day. He's writing songs. Uh, it cannot be the king. Bring him here. As soon as he walked through the door, before he even knew what they want, the oil jumped from the Karen into his head. He didn't need to pick it up. Like this. Oh. Hair became oily. Say, Mazal Tov, you're the new king of, of Israel. This is what it means. The, the brick that all the contractors threw to the garbage, even Masua Bonim, Haitale Rosh Pina, he became the heart of the building, meaning the king. Someone that they thought is garbage, mamzer, go, go away, what are you coming here? Became the greatest king in the history of the world. Just when you read Tehillim, what else is left to be said? I tell people, listen to my Tehillim series. Changed their entire life. I explain each one of the 150 chapters, all the secrets over there. I actually have a few CDs in the car if you want. Part one and two, two CDs. 60 hours explaining every word in Tehillim and the secret, what's behind it, who wrote it, when, why, what was the situation at that time. There's a lot of also Kabbalistic secrets over there. This is David Amelech, Rabotai. 
בעזרת השם, we are ממש in the last day of Hanukkah, that's it. Tomorrow night, one more day, two more days, it's left. That's, it's over. Before you realize, everything is over. Life, Chazal say, it's a blink of the eye. You should remember two things. I say it, and that's what you should remember. A Jew always stick to the truth and always thank Hashem for everything. The good, the bad, there's no such thing bad. There's no such thing bad. Everything is good, just the, that sometimes it looks good and sometimes it looks bad. But everything is good. Just that what looks bad, one day you will understand that it was good. One day you will understand that it was good. There's one rabbi, a friend of mine, I don't want to say his name because I didn't ask permission, but we, we were friends for about 25 years. A famous rabbi, probably all of you know him. Those of you who know, probably already know about the story, and those who don't know, doesn't matter, just get the concept of the story. I did not know that his granddaughter passed from cancer. She was a young girl, maybe, I don't know, 18, 19, 20. I heard once that she's sick. We added her to the name of the sick people. And after a few months, I don't know, out of nowhere, I asked him on the phone, how is your granddaughter doing? He told me, oh, Alea Shalom, she already passed, when? Two months ago, three months ago. Felt a little bit awkward, you know, like you ask. It's embarrassing. So I'm sorry, I didn't know. Hashem Irachem, Baruch Dayana Emet. How are you holding up? He said to me, fantastic. I said, you convincing yourself that it's fantastic or you really mean it? He said, it was very hard in the beginning until she came to me in a dream. She came to me in a dream and she said, Grandpa, why are you crying over me? I'm in such a great place. If you knew where I am, you would be very happy for me. In one second, he started to sing and thank Hashem and almost dancing. Until now, it was a knife to the heart. One thing, tiny thing happened, a dream. How long is a dream? A minute? And now he looks at it completely different. Why? What changed? Nothing in reality changed. Something in the understanding of a human being changed, that's all. I give you an example of what I mean. A lot of us have suffering in life. We suffer very much until we find out that someone we know is suffering is ten times worse than us. So when we hear about his suffering, it comforts us and we don't suffer anymore. That's called Tzarat Rabim Chatsi Nechama. In reality, it's stupid. It's a stupid way of thinking. How does it help me that my friend suffered ten times more to make me feel relaxed now? It's a, a, a way of relaxing yourself by looking at other people, that their problems. Your friend lost $10,000 and you lost only 1000 Before you found out he lost 10000 you felt horrible. But after you saw everyone around you lost 10000 it's, ooh, I actually got very lucky tonight. I'm, I made 9000 What do you mean you made 9000 You went with 2000 you came with one. You don't understand, he said to his wife. I actually won 9000 tonight. Because every one of my friends lost 10. <laughs> this is the way he feels. 
So what do you care? It's fantastic. You feel great about it. This is a great remedy. We should teach it in psychology school. But in, on the other hand, it's very stupid to think like this because your reality that the thousand that you had is gone. How does it help you that other people became poor? Right or wrong? So in Hebrew, there are two sentences that contradict each other. First one, Tzarat Rabim Chatsi Nechama. Misery like company. That's what it means. When the more people are in the trouble, the easier everyone feels. It's not only me, all my friends together. Okay. Corona. You lost your job. Okay, they saw on the news one million people in Israel lost their job. No, I'm one of one million. If they would say 15 people in Israel lost their job, you'll feel horrible. I'm one of the 15. <laughs> but if they say a million lost the job, so okay, everyone. Kulam alapanim. So what are you happy? I'm not happy, but at least I feel relaxed. That's very stupid. Then there is a sentence that contradicts that. Tzarat Rabim Nechamat Tipshim. Misery for the public is a comfort to the fool. Which one of the two sentences is more accurate? Huh? The first or the second? So you agree with misery like company? It's more logical than it's a comfort to the fool? Why? <laughs> In reality, it takes away the misery, but based on stupidity, right? If a person thinks he wants I give you an example that happened with me. I sent one of my Bale Tshuva to a friend of mine to learn to be a stock broker day trading, to do day trading. That was about, I don't know, 15 years ago, 17 years ago. So he went there, and my friend that owned the office was teaching him how to do day trading. So he opened him an account, and they put money there, the office, and he's supposed to make commission from the profit. So he calls me up after a few days. Wow, you don't understand what a great job it is. I already made $10,000 first week on my job. I said, whoa. Maybe I should also quit the lectures and, and do day trading, you know? So I called up the owner of the office, which is my friend, to tell him, wow, what a great idea was to send you this guy. So I called him up, said, well, what's up? I hear he's booming. I said, what? I said, he just told me he made 10,000. He was choking on the phone. I said, what happened? Like this. I said, whoa, this guy is really dumb. I said, why? He said, it's only demo. We're just teaching him. How it's not real. He doesn't really buy and sell stocks. It's demo. I call up the other guy. I say, yeah, listen, you fool. You didn't really make money. It's just simulation. So now, he was very happy. There was a reason to be happy? No. But based on what you say, who cares? As long as he's happy. Who agree with him? If you're happy based on false information, it's a blessing or a curse? Right now it's a blessing, which will turn into a curse when you find out <laughs> that it was all an illusion. That's what life is all about. The life of the secular people, they think, when we get to the bridge, we'll cross it. 
When you're going to get to the bridge, you'll be buried in a very bad place. You won't be able to cross anything. It will be too late for you. Now it's the time to save yourself, not when you die. By then it's too late. So, apparently, there is a source that you write, believe it or not. What? Rabbi Akiva got married to a princess, Rachel, daughter of a billionaire. And he cut her out of the wheel, and Rabbi Akiva built her, Rabbi Akiva built her a house made from straw. Cash! Straw! Every day he has to take the straw out of her hair, because they, that's all they have. No electric. Imagine she was alone there for 24 years with no light. She didn't even have iPhones to play Game Boys. There was no WhatsApp chat. There was no rabbis to give her speeches, one-minute speeches. There was nothing. No entertainment. She was a princess in a palace. She lost everything to marry a 40 years old, ignorant, divorced, with a son, Cleaning horses doesn't know alphabet. That's the situation. And he left her for 24 years to go learn Torah. He came back when he was 64 as the biggest Jewish chacham in the history of the world, Rabbi Akiva. When Rachel was depressed, Hashem sent her Eliyahu Navi in a custom of a very poor man. And he asked her, ma'am, would you lend me some straw? I'm so poor, wow, Baruch Hashem, you have so much straw, you're so lucky. We had a baby, we need some straw to put the baby on it. Can you give me some? Of course, take. After he left, she felt great. Look, I have what other people don't have. My situation is even better than them. Why Hashem send her Eliyahu Navi To make her feel good. Why is she supposed to feel good? Just because other people are more poor, I should feel good? That's the nature of the human being. Misery, love, company. It's a comfort. It's a comfort. But once a person finds out the truth, it can sometimes become better, and sometimes Chazor Shalom become worse. Depend what the truth is. Bezrat Hashem, we have to wake up our job in the world is to be light for the goyim. There's a lot of righteous goyim in the world. It's enough that 1% of the Gentiles in the world are good potential people with spirituality and love to God. You're talking here 75 million people. 7.5 million goyim. 1% of them, 7.5 billion goyim, 1% of them is 7.5 million people. 75 million. 75 million people. That's a huge number. 1%. That's already millions of goyim that love Hashem, love the Jews, love the Torah. You can see on YouTube how many of them make comments and on Facebook. How much they love Torah, they listen all day. With all due respect to these righteous Gentiles, it's very nice what they do, and some of them even donate to save the souls of Jews. And that's really embarrassing to the Jews that do not donate. That someone from a different nation care about the children of Hashem more than that the brothers of them care. That's a shame for us. But still, remember, we have an obligation. 
we have an obligation to be light to the world. And the way to be light to the world, we, each one of us has to do Kiruv. We have to share lectures. My new app, make sure you send it to every person you know, everyone. Each one of you will accept to send it to at least 50 people. Tomorrow, it will be another thousand people. Another thousand people, each one of them will send it to 50. It's going to be 50,000. Each one of them, it's going to be right away. Within two, three weeks, million people will have it. Every day lecture, two, three hours, lots of musar, words of encouragement, lots of education about life. It makes a revolution in the world. Baruch Hashem, we're working now on a program that the app will have directly live streaming. We don't need any more YouTube, no Facebook. No, we don't need their favors. They limit 90% of the exposure. That everyone that will be on the app will be able to watch the lectures live and get a pop-up before. Soon the lecture begins. It will take some time. It's a very complicated thing to build. But once we have it, we will own Facebook of our own. That's it. And we're not going to have any limit on exposure. So that means if there's going to be 100,000 people that have the app, they're going to get a pop-up at 6 p.m. In two hours, the lecture will begin. 20, 30, 40,000 of them will watch it every night like this. Every one of you who will spread this app to others, your profit on your stock will be trillions of percent. Right now, it's the beginning of it. Invest with the vision. With a vision, IPO, exactly IPO. IPO, but a real one, not like the Israeli one. One out of a thousand <laughs> succeeds. You understand? In, the Israelis are great with selling you baloney. Oh, we're going to do this. You're going to make a billion dollars, half a million there, da, da, da. The Goim, they also make all kinds of exits. But the Goim, they're very conservative. One person that knows about it told me that a few days ago. He said, you know, I checked startup by Israelis and Europeans. The Europeans are not as talented, not even a quarter of the Israeli genius mind. But they don't talk very high. So when they finally do it, it will bring money. The Israeli, from day one, they have only one mission. When will you put the money and take it over? They don't care if it will make money, not make money. They just give it to you. It looks very nice. Take it, take it. How much? 20 million. Then what do you do? You get stuck with that. The goim, when they make an app in Europe, it may take longer, it may, you need a lot more patience, but in the end it will really make money. If it's true or not, I don't know. That's what an expert told me. But the idea is we don't want to sell Indian bread to people. You know what's Indian bread? It looks very big. It looks very, very big. You make one hole in Indian bread, steam comes out. It's all full of steam. After all the air and the steam came out, the size of the Indian bread is exactly like this smash date. Four dollars. You take it up inside. It's not even kazait. You cannot do birkat amazon. You need two more. Twelve dollars just to be able to do birkat amazon. Why? It looks very big. But it's Indian. Everything inside is baloney. You know what's the difference between Indian and Jews? Yehudi. How do you write Yehudi? Yud, Hey, Vav, Dalet, Yud. 
If you take the Yud of Hashem out of the Yehudi, it becomes Hodi. <laughs> Why Hodi? Bow down to a cow. Every day bow down to something else, to the, to the game, to the soccer game, to the NBA game, to the fashion show, to the movie star, to the Israeli army. Every day is a different God. You take the Yud of Hashem out, nothing is left. Bezrat Hashem, we should have a successful year to come from now until next Hanukkah. Hopefully, hopefully, Bezrat Hashem, things will turn around and become even better. But I want everyone here to get serious. No jokes. Those who not keep Shabbat yet, you must do it. Go into my website, listen to the lectures about Shabbat. There's 20 of them there. One of them will do the job. Just listen and you see what will be your end if you won't keep Shabbat. See the truth. Find out the consequences of your action. Those of you who do not give charity, those of you who are not modest, those of you who are not honest, those of you who are not learning daily Torah, those of you who do not fix their personal character traits, those of you who do not have faith and, and, uh, and trust in Hashem. Every one of the things I mention is bad. This is the job of a Jew in this world. Baruch Adonai Le'olam. Amen ve'amen. Rabbi Hanania ben Akashia.